It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Yeah, here we are again. Everyone talks to Liz. Uh, and I was thinking about this. I love getting into people's backgrounds. And when I say backgrounds, I mean ancestry, right? People always think I'm Irish because of the red hair and the green eyes. I am actually half Ukrainian, half Romanian. All four of my grandparents left Eastern Europe because they were so warm and welcoming to the Jews back then. Not and found their way to Canada. So both my parents were Canadian-born, sons and daughters of, of course, you have to put in poverty-stricken, poverty-stricken immigrants. Then my parents moved to the U.S., and I was born in America. I did not intend, when I was thinking about my introduction for my guest today, to go down this route, because he's a hugely successful entrepreneur and television star. But when I found out his background, I was so intrigued. He is half Irish, half Lebanese, and Canadian-born, but he's got passports for three countries, and he's as American capitalist as they get, even though he's not American. While in college, he interned at Nabisco, and when he graduated, he got hired in their cat food division. What did he learn there? And from, by the way, his mom, who was a very skilled investor that made him the founder of major companies and a star of Shark Tank. Wait till you hear Kevin O'Leary's story. Kevin, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Great to be here, Liz. Thank you. Okay, so the three passports are for which countries? Canada and what else? Canada, Ireland, and the United Arab Emirates. That's interesting. You know, it's, 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 it's about business, really. The UAE, and particularly Abu Dhabi, is becoming the capital of capital of the world. It's, you know, capturing the growth of the region, but also becoming a competitor to London, England. Um, obviously, Ireland has been phenomenally successful in, in attracting corporations to a very yeah. um, good tax rate and regulatory environment. And these are places where I want to be an investor. You know, capital it doesn't really have a nationality. It follows the path of least resistance. And a lot of it's flowing into the UAE. And a lot of it's going to Ireland and has been for quite a while. And, you know, you're part Irish, so I, I get that part. But it's interesting that your driver has been sort of that opportunity that's out there to grow your capitalistic heart and your entrepreneurial mind. You, though, grew up in a very small town of 19,000 called Mount Royal. Well, in French, it's Montréal because it's in Quebec. Tell me about your childhood. Well, my, my, I was born from immigrants. You mentioned immigration earlier, but mm-hmm. uh, same in Canada. Uh, my mother was uh, from Lebanese descent. My father was Irish, and he ended up working for a company called Kitty's Togs, which my grandfather had founded in, in children's winter clothing. Back then, the, the Asian market wasn't competitive in that segment. And it was a very successful company, and all of my, um, my aunts and my mother worked there, and she met my father, Terry. They got married. I was born, uh, but he died very early, and uh, that was the beginning of a, a different kind of journey. We we left Quebec when I was uh, just eight years old, moved to Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, um, where I went to Bottenfield High School for a while. And my mother remarried a fellow named George, who was coming out of the University of Illinois as an engineer. Mm. 
he took a job with the United Nations ILO division. And we moved to different countries every two years. I started off in Cambodia, Ethiopia, Tunisia, Cyprus, Japan, Germany, France, you name it, I've lived there. And I thought at that time, these posts were usually two years. Mm -hmm. So I was very fortunate. I got to meet Haley Selassie. I met Paul Pod. I met Sanook. What, Paul Uh, Pod of Cambodia? Yes, he was there when I was there. Oh my God. I mean, he was not insane at that time. He clearly went insane, but but I thought everybody grew up that way. I didn't know the difference, but obviously it's a huge advantage now. I'm able to go into these markets. I understand how they grew. You know, Cambodia has actually ended up being, through French colonization, one of the most attractive places to put real estate investments because it's attracting now a very buoyant economy and a vibrant community of tourism. And, and they don't have enough hotels. And so there's lots of opportunity if you just understand how these places work. And Cyprus became an international banking center. I still go back there, um, Switzerland. My stepfather lives there and I go there often. I'm a huge watch collector. <laughs> a good reason <laughs> to go back there. So these are, th- th- this is what kind of formed my childhood, but also changed the way I thought about investing. Because um, I grew up and experienced these places, not from reading case studies, from actually living there. To me, this is important because, and, and I don't mean to generalize, but Americans tend to be not xenophobic, but they're like, oh, let me stay where I grew up. When I left Los Angeles, I was born in L.A. Actually, I grew up in Beverly Hills, uh, but I left to go to Ohio because I knew that if I wanted to be an on-air reporter, I had to start in a smaller town. And People I grew up with were saying, wait, why are you moving to Ohio? Like, that was such a crazy idea. And to this day, I am so happy. I lived in Columbus and Cleveland and then Boston because it helped me layer on and give me so much more depth as an individual. But when you're an entrepreneur, to have all of that experience and to know what's out there, that must be unbelievably strong when it comes to pushing you. It is. I, I, I think it was very motivational in terms of getting the idea, idea of diversity of ideas, mm. diversity of people, diversity of culture, diversity of societies. I, along the way, I was very fortunate. In, in Cambodia, we had, um, it was a big expat community there. And uh, we had a, a cook and a housemaker, Tiba and Dang were their names. And it was so hot there. Um, that they would go to the market before the sun rose in the Mekong Delta and gather all the fresh food that was going to be prepared. And so I got up with them because they were sort of almost taking care of us when we were getting used to living there. And then I had a French, um, basically high school teacher, if you want to call her that, or middle school. And because we were expats, I just got used to that way of living. So we'd get up at 3.45 in the morning, go and buy fresh fish. And I learned how to cook with them. I became a chef uh, just because French food, they were colonized by the French for many, many years, is too rich to cook in 100 degree weather. The (laughs) creams and the butter go rancid in the middle of the afternoon as you're preparing the dish for the evening. So they would swap out lime, mango chutney, all kinds of passion fruit and change how these dishes are made. So today... I make the best crepe flambe you've ever tasted, the best escargot you've ever had. You know, duck lamellas, you can't beat what I make because you're used to the 
heavy, rich style. Yeah. And I make it much more flavorful with a lot, a lot less fat. Wait, so uh, this is amazing to me. And so growing up in Cambodia, at least this stretch that you did there, did you learn the languages of these countries where you stayed? Well, I'm heavily d- dyslexic, so I'm lucky to be able to speak English. So the answer, the answer is no, but I can understand French. Mm-hmm. I speak it, mais les mots, c'est complexe pour moi. You know, I have a hard time with it because French brings a lot of gender into the language. And, yeah. you know, you, you, gotta, you have to feel how the tonality works. And every to noun, France. for people who don't know, because I do speak French, every noun is either feminine or masculine. And to me, there's no rhyme or reason. Like a men's tie, cravate, is feminine. Why? Un cravate. I don't understand that, but... I get it, that it's difficult. But, you know, I, I can get around in France or Switzerland, and then, of course, in Zurich, it's German. Uh, um, it, it, but I, I find the universal language of commerce ends up being English, so I'm able to, to function quite well wherever I go and want to talk money or investing. Somehow English comes on the table, which I don't want to, you know, sound arrogant about it, but it is a common language for commerce. Sure. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm able to work in that environment, but I have a lot of respect uh, for these different cultures and to understand how they work, particularly in the Middle East. Um, there's all kinds of unwritten rules that are thousands of years old about how hospitality works and what the protocols are. And, and I'm able to really operate in those regions uh, quite easily without making the gaffes that many other people <laughs> from the West do. And those things are not forgotten easily. You yeah. have to really be humble and, and understand that their perspective is something different than yours, and that's just the way it is. What is the worst gaffe that, let's just say Americans, and, and you could throw Canadians in there too, make when they're in the Middle East that you learned not to do? Respect for the leadership. Um, when, when you go to a, uh, a kingdom, whether it be Saudi Arabia or Qatar or to the UAE, mm-hmm. these are not democracies as you and I know them, but they are highly successful countries. If you look at what UAE has become in just 50 years, it's only 50 years old. And it, it, it rivals many, many other economies. And in some cases passes them by by miles. It's incredibly successful, but it's owned by a ruler. Mm-hmm. I mean, owned. They own it and they're benevolent to their people. They understand what's important and they're able to keep in that culture the idea that if everybody benefits, the whole society benefits. And today in the UAE, you know, people say, oh, well, women are, are not treated the same. That's simply not true. 50% of the workforce there, including that of the government, are women. And the same thing is happening in Saudi Arabia. So when I go to these places, Riyadh or mm-hmm. Doha or to Abu Dhabi, when I land there, I put on my, because I, I hold that golden passport, I, I dress with the rest of the people. And I'm used to that and I show respect and I know when to stand up and shut my mouth. That's the whole point. And if you don't know how that works, well, you're gonna have to learn it the hard way. Yeah, it doesn't mean you agree with everything, but when you're in their territory and in their world, you, you must show respect. And, and I would hope that they would do the same when they, they come to America. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. 
We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, I want to go back to your experience at Nabisco. So you, you finally graduated college. Were you in college in Canada? Where'd you go to school? I went to Waterloo, actually. Okay. okay. And, um, and, but the, so, and then I went to Ivy for a bit for my MBA, but that was a summer internship. It's the only job I've actually ever had because I, I realized for a bunch of other reasons, I didn't want to work for anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not a great employee, but I'm I'm a pretty good investor, I think. <laughs> but it, it's sort of, uh, but that was a very important job for me. It was um, Miss Mew Cat Food, Nabisco Brands, Dutch product manager. Um, on my first day, he said, okay, listen, kid, I want you to understand how the cat food market works. There are basically two flavors. <laughs> There's the... Sea of Japan tuna, the underbelly, the dark tuna. And then there are chicken and beef faces, mm-hmm. which is basically the rendering remains of when you slaughter beef and, and other animals. Um, with papaya juice, you blend that down into a mush and it becomes a protein paste. And then you add bacon bits, egg bits, green onions, whatever. And those are the different flavors and you try and get as many flavors on the shelf as you can. But basically, it's either tuna, fish-based, or it's protein-based. And then we would test these with cats in upstate New York. And I learned a lot about cats. And My point is, later in life, this experience taught me two important things because there were just two engines. There was the fish protein and the beef protein. And from those two engines... We made 32 flavors of cat food and we dominated the shelf. So later when I was in the software business and buying up in educational software companies at the learning company, I went to our team and said, listen, guys, let me tell you my cat food story. And I said, "What all of educational software attempts to do two things, advanced math and reading scores. That's what most parents will pay an unlimited amount of money for so that their children can pass the testing process right through to college but you have to get those tests and math and reading scores done. So we, I said, let's just do two engines, a math engine and a reading engine. So reader rabbit and math rabbit are just, if you want to think about it as chicken paste or it's, it's fish paste. Right, right. And so we, we eliminated massive costs. And you know, if you go back and look at the Wall Street Journal that day, the criticism I took for that, but nobody could develop at, at our at, at our at our cost base, we beat everybody. Our cost of capital was the lowest of the industry, and we ended up acquiring everybody. We ended up being the very biggest until Mattel bought us 
It was a $4.2 billion transaction, started in my basement. And that was my first big liquidity event. And I learned from that Dutch product manager that lesson. It, it, it's so important to take those lessons in life and, and, and remember them later. And, you know, cooking is the same for me. It, it's come up, you know, I, I have a very big business at QVC now, a chef wonderful, selling all kinds of products, including wine. We mm. sell 12 million bottles of wine a year now. And so these are all experiences that come back and you can use them later. Well, to me, what I find interesting is, sure, you were in a consumer business, the cat food, you're learning about it, but you were unafraid to break through. You weren't ring fencing yourself and staying in that world. You went into software. Then once you sold to Mattel, you went into other things. You got into special event television, which you've, what, SET, right? This is sports right. programming. This is in Canada. Yeah. Then you went into storage facilities, and the rest is, is really history, except you then jumped to television, and Shark Tank was not your first show, right? No, no, it wasn't. You know, television came from um, my experience. In, what happened was in private equity, I was working sort of alongside T.H. Lee there, T.H. Lee and Bain Capital were my largest partners in the learning company. And when we sold the company, uh, I wanted to keep going. So we, we started looking at private equity deals. And one of them was the sale of digital television rights in Canada. And uh, you had to be a Canadian to get 51% control. So Tom Lee at the time, who was running T.H. Lee, said, listen, kid, you're Canadian. Why don't you go up there? I'll give you an unlimited budget and, and just go buy everything you can. We don't know what's going to work, but it's the Wild West. Buy the dog food channel, buy the movie channel, buy the cooking channel, buy it all. So I went up there and I started bidding on everything. Uh, and I could because, you know, I could buy it. I'm a Canadian, I'm 51%. And one of the reporters um, on a station called uh, BNN, which was at the time CTV, noticed that I was just buying everything or bidding on everything anyways. That was Janice Mackey Frere. And she's now very famous on NBC. I think she reports from the Middle East. And she and I got into a huge argument on the air. I mean, it was my first time on television. It was just a slugfest. And the phone lines lit up. And it was because I just said, you know, she was saying, well, what are you, some kind of greedy pig? I said, no, I'm a competitive <laughs> buyer. And we got into a real. And so the next day, the producer called me back saying, wow, we got fantastic ratings on that. Can you do it tomorrow too? You're up here for three days. <laughs> that was the beginning of my television career. It doesn't surprise me. You know, there's an expression, and, and I've interviewed you before. I've known you for a long time. You, you strike me as one of the most, and this is Yiddish, Tuchasav and Tish people I've ever known. That's Yiddish for, well, Tuchas meaning but, but on the table, and it means blunt and honest. So it's no surprise to me that your first time out on television, you didn't get all caught up in, oh, I have to be perfect on TV or the cameras are rolling. You just started arguing. That is a that is a gift. Now, is that something that people can learn or do you have to be born with it? I think you can learn it. I learned the lesson that I'm trying to stay, stay true to is my mother taught me when I was a teenager, um, that if you always tell the truth, you never have to remember what you said, mm -hmm. which is very important in business. Because if you ever get caught in a lie, you lose trust, which is everything. Your reputation is everything. So you're better off to be totally transparent. 
but some people don't like transparency. But I remember when I was, I got called, I was working for a Discovery Channel in London, England on a show called Project Earth, again in television, as the investor uh, presenter. They call them presenters over in England. Yes. And, and um, I got a call from Mark Burnett. He was over in, at Shutters in, in Malibu and said, you got to join me for breakfast tomorrow. I got this new show called Shark Tank and we're looking for a real hole <laughs> and you're it. <laughs> so, so you were an original. Well, you know, he said, don't go changing. We need somebody, that, you know, is just going to tell the truth. And that was 15 years ago. We've never looked back and look what that's turned into. I remember Damon John, who's also a friend, said to me when it was just on ABC and they booted you guys to Friday night, which is a very tough time slot. And he said, Liz, I, I don't know if it's going to survive. And I said, listen, let me tell you something about television. As long as you guys stay collective as the team, you and... Mark Cuban and Kevin and and Barbara, as long as you guys don't think that one is better than the other and you stay together, it's going to be huge. And look at it today. It's it's massive. There, you- there, there is there is none of that on Shark Tank because oh. we're all um, self-made entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. all from different sectors of the economy. You have to respect your fellow shark because they made it from some other way that you don't know. And so we're all different that way. And besides, we've become pretty good friends. The only reason Barbara gets the Shark Tank each year is I buy her a new broom. (laughs) It's amazing to me all that you have done and that you're continuing to do. What is the next big thing that you're investing in right now? I'm looking at the competition of states, Liz, happening as capital leaves places like New York and California and Massachusetts towards lower taxes and more open policy. And, you know... I'll give you an example. I'm very interested in investing in energy now, and I'm interested in energy infrastructure because I think the idea that we're going to get to green in 10 years is is not true. It's not going to work. But you're not anti, uh, you're, I know this because I've studied up on you. You've also invested in opportunities to fix the barreling toward real problems from climate change, right? And carbon. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I'm a big believer in green energy, and I think we're going to get there, but Mm -hmm. we need transitional models. And so I'm very interested now in the new model of, we haven't built a refinery in America. And I think you and I have talked about this in the past, since 1977, those were really dirty, old, inefficient refineries. And today we can do this and separate gas and oil in a very clean manner, sequester the carbon. And North Dakota has become the state I'm most interested in because it has the right geology, the right policy, Mm -hmm. and a very, uh, a very good regulatory and tax environment. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm actually uh, working for the legislature there running a venture fund with a whole team of people. My team is there right now as we speak. We had a long call today from Fargo. And we're very interested in, in this because if you look at the success of Florida and Texas, you're going to see the same thing start to happen in West Virginia, North Dakota, South Dakota, Oklahoma. People have ignored these places, but now you can't get anything done in California, nor would you. It's not really open for business. New York is an absolute mess. I would never put a business there. Uh, Massachusetts, I, I'm very, um, you know, I respect Elizabeth Warren, but her policies are just, to me, they're un-American. But, but I, as a politician, she's phenomenally successful. I plan on addressing their legislature in October. Hmm. Um, I'm very excited because Harvard is currently writing a case on me and I'm going to teach it on October 24th. Oh, that's so cool. that's very cool. I'm very honored, but 
It, it, and, it, and you know what? It's funny because it's in the topic you're talking about. It's, it's looking at the effect of, of social media and personalities on corporate market cap. You think about the successes of a, a Jay-Z and then a Kanye West as the antithesis of that, or mm-hmm. Kevin O'Leary, or you know any of the celebrities that, that, that have started to, to use their reach on social media to help businesses. Because at the end of the day, my job as an investor for any of my 30 plus portfolio companies is to tell their story so that they can reduce their customer acquisition costs and increase their return on advertising spend. That's what we do. And I've got millions of followers and you can measure that now. So Harvard's saying, well, wait a second. If you're a Kardashian and you can reduce the customer acquisition costs of a new perfume, let's look at that. Because these are billion dollar market caps we're talking about. I was just about to bring up and specifically Kim Kardashian because there was a point where I met her, this is years ago, White House Correspondents' Dinner. She was a guest uh, with Fox and Fox Business. And somebody said to me, oh, she's famous for doing nothing. And I said, oh, no, she's not. She is a businesswoman. They work it. And I mean, there were, there were video game companies she was working with. Now, of course, she's started her own clothing and undergarments business. To me, it, and then that social media power that she has... People look at somebody like that, or as you said, Jay-Z. And I'm thinking of, you know, all of these companies now that are hiring celebrity spokespeople, but it's got to be authentic. It's got to work and it's got to be believable, right? No, you're right about that because what social media has is its dark side is people can smell bullshit a million miles away. Absolutely. That's why, that's why I make sure in every case of a product that I endorse, I try and do two things buy a piece of the company so I'm a shareholder, Mm -hmm. and secondly, personally use the product. If I can't use the product, why would I endorse it? I mean, why would I ever do that? So most of my endorsements come around financial services, tax services, because all of my companies do a poor job when they're growing and they're small of, of preparing their taxes and just planning for their taxes. I'm very interested in equity crowdfunding, so I'm a shareholder now in Start Engine, and that's one of my companies that I endorse. The employee retention credit, I have gone crazy on that because I'm so unhappy with Congress just giving money to the S&P 500. We got a trillion dollars, Liz, in yeah. just two acts. In the, in, in, in the IRA Act, number one, Inflation Reduction Act, and the Chip Science Act. Not a dollar of that goes to small business. Not a dollar. And the only active program right now, which is going to end in 11 months, is the employee retention credit. So I'm all over television and pounding the table to get small businesses. And all of my companies applied for it because it's the only support they're getting in very tough times when the banking system is shutting down for small business because of regional banks losing their liquidity. And uh, small businesses are the backbone of employment in this country. I mean, there's just no downside to helping small businesses. You're also a branding, in my opinion, genius. Can I just have you put that hat on right now and tell me how when a company stumbles and they have in the past, whether it was J&J with the Tylenol drama or now Bud Light with something that to me is so lame and dumb. I can't even believe people are boycotting Bud Light over this, but whatever. I guess I'm way more socially centrist and understanding of the world. 
or not. I don't know. People get very emotional about the Dylan Mulvaney trans issue. It was one tiny TikTok. But now you've got a boycott of that company. If Bud Light said, come in here, Kevin, what do we do to fix this? What would you say? Well, it's a it's a great question because I'm going to be teaching that case this fall oh. uh, as a guest lecturer in many business schools. It's unprecedented what happened there. Um, that's a combination of idiot management combined with tone-deaf marketing. And yeah. the key in branding, and, and I tell all of my CEOs this, this is a trait that I learned from one of my uh, women CEOs over 20 years ago. She said to me one day, long time ago, I'll never forget this conversation. You know, Kevin, you talk too much. You should shut up and listen. You talk two thirds of the day and listen one third. Why don't you try reversing that? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I have done that. I've reversed. And what I've learned, when you listen, when you shut up and listen to people, including consumers, you empower yourself with knowledge that no one else has because you're listening. It's like you've got your ear to the track. The key to successful branding and marketing is to listen and be able to discern the signal from the noise. And so if you're talking about Bud Light, you would have long before you ever tested that idea, sat down and talked to some Customers. of your key consumers. Yes. Go into, go into a bar and talk to people ordering Bud Light. If you're the CEO, put on a hat. And know go in your there. customer. Know your cut because you would have never done that to yourself. Okay, so they stumbled. Now what? So what has to happen now is they have to stop this narrative. The CEO said, I'm going to go on a tour of the country and talk about this. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. No. You're going to stop talking about this. You're going to take the hit. And it's been brutal. Yes. It's been what? They've lost 26% market share. Oh, it's a Unprecedented in America. They have pissed off almost every customer. Time to shut up and listen. Mm -hmm. That's what it takes. And it takes time. The share loss has slowed down. Um, I would scrub that management team. They would all be gone just out of respect to your customer base and let everybody know what you're doing. The fact the CEO is still there amazes me. I can't believe it because... That's a very tough place to be in. The board has to start thinking about, you talk about risk committees, you have compensation committees, you have compliance committees. Well, smart public company boards now do social media committees. Oh, yes. So that they're, they're testing messaging because you can't control social media when it turns on you. There's nothing you can do to stop it. And so you have to understand how it works and start hiring some young people that understand the TikTok algorithms, how LinkedIn works, how Insta works, how Meta works. I spend millions every month of my aggregate of companies buying social media and buying television, buying cable, buying remnant. We spend hours analyzing this data. We've become very, very, very good at it. And well, so many companies ignore this and well, just give a, it to a The thing PR about Bud Light was a, a, is a very cautionary tale. And by the same token, when you flip it over and say, well, who did it right? You got to figure embracing controversy isn't necessarily a disaster. I mean, Nike did it where they put Colin Kaepernick, who is, is very much a, a lightning rod. Uh, you know, I personally understand in a way what, what he was, but, but you don't wear socks that have pigs dressed as policemen on a football field when you know 
you know, who the football people are. And yet Nike still used him because they knew their customer and they knew that the ones who would buy Nikes and then burn them, you know, in protest, that was a very small portion of their customer base and their audience. So it was a it was a very risky move. But you can straddle that, can you not? You can, but you have to ask yourself, what are you straddling? Because in the case of both Target and Bud Light situation, you wandered into, on your own, voluntarily, the question of gender identity, which is a fundamental root issue with people. I'm not pro-con or have any opinion about it. Everybody has to make their own mind in their lives what makes them happy. I support that. But when it comes to marketing a commodity like beer or children's clothing... They didn't market it, though. That's the thing. Target just sold it. They basically put themselves in a situation where they could be exposed to social media in an incredibly viral negative light. Bud Light went out of their way to market this, thinking it was a great idea to expand market share, but completely tone deaf to how broad and controversial, and I believe an issue similar to abortion that will never go away. Gender identity is an issue that will never be resolved. It is a personal issue. It should be not, it should never be used to leverage a commodity like beer. That was a stupid mistake. That, that's what I will be teaching when I teach this case. Hmm. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands and I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business. And then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. Let's talk about hiring. What do you look for when you're hiring? And I know each position is different, but what is a characteristic that anyone you hire has got to have? I call it diversity of mind share. Let me explain what I mean. In every individual, in, in, there, are, there are two opposing forces, the yin and yang, so to speak. There's the organized element of, particularly if they're a manager in business, which is a binary measure. You make money, you lose money. Versus the other side of the brain, which is whatever their creativity is. Are they a dancer? Are they an artist? Are they a musician? Are they a painter? When I look at people, the first question I ask, particularly for major positions in our operating company is, let's not talk about your job as, you know, director of finance. 
tell me what you do besides work. Mm. Do you paint? Do you do build violins? What do you do? Because I'm looking for that individual that has the balance of both, that is able to use the chaos of art or creativity to solve for binary problems in business. They are my most successful managers. They, they are not, mm. if all you tell me is about how great you are in a, on reading a balance sheet, I'll never hire you. You gotta be great at reading the balance sheet to start off with, but you tell me you're still dancing at ballerina level and you're 38. Now you're talking. Well, what about you? What do you do outside of well, the entrepreneurial I, listen, business world? I, I keep my, I edit every weekend with Premiere Pro because I, I came up, as I mentioned earlier, I was a film editor on an eight-plate steam back, a cameraman, a sound man, <laughs> when I was in special event television. So I keep my chops up Good. and I keep all of my social media team sharp because I can see a junk cut a mile away. Me too. If I don't like the, Me too. Yeah, if, you, oh, if, I, if I don't like the cut, you're going to go back and fix it. I'll find that frame you screwed up. And Crossing they know the that. axis, all yeah, that exactly, stuff. Exactly, <laughs> all that. Uh, I also play guitar um, and I, I try and get better. I, I jam with various bands on weekends. And I'm a watch collector and a, and a supporter of horology, a member of the New York Hor Horological Society. And wow. I have a massive watch collection. I'm known internationally. I thought I had the world's watch collection until I met some of the guys in the UAE. <laughs> I am a nothing burger compared to them. A nothing burger. Oh, well, I just started at my age, bass lessons, bass guitar lessons. Yep. I'm I play loving bass. it. I'm That's an unforgiving it. instrument. Oof, that people think it's easy. easy. It's, oh no, no, no. Very tough. Very, very tough. tough. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and I could uh, we need some tips. We could do a whole hour on how to get your hands on a Rolex because I I mean it's just insane. Can't find yeah. them. No, in fact, I'm going to New York to shoot at, at one of the Rolex stores. Um because as you may know, Rolex bought um, their largest retail distributor. This is rather remarkable yeah. what happened. Yeah. Um, they are now the largest watchmaker, 6 million watches a year, and they have the largest distribution real estate in the world. It's a game changer for the watch industry. Many different things are going to happen, uh, but we're shooting a story and I'm taking delivery tomorrow, Liz, of a watch that's extremely coveted. Rolex made something um, called the puzzle watch. They went right off piece, so to speak, and did emojis all over the dial and bright, colorful puzzle pieces. Ooh. And people looked at it and said, wait a second, there's no date there. There's just a bunch of little smiling, happy faces and, <laughs> and sayings like love, peace, and harmony. And the watch went insane when it hit the market. I think there's only three pieces in America. Oh. Tom Brady, um, John Mayer and tomorrow. Me. And you. Yeah. Will you, you have to come on my show. Will you come on the show and show that when you get oh, it? Oh, yeah. I, I would love to. We could have some fun. Oh, my God. I want to do a whole story on the watchmaking as, industry. As an asset class, it's outperformed the S&P for the last seven years. So my watch collection has beaten the S&P by 700 basis points. What's your most it's valuable crazy. watch that you have right now? Currently, it's a Patek um, Loose, which is a Patek that's encrusted with uh, jewels, which is a new trend for men. But my most valuable as of last week is the one-of-a-kind AP that was made to me for Shark Tank. Adam Piquet made a, a, a royal oak. 
with rubies, red rubies around it with a red uh, hand, which they've never done before. And so it's the, it's the Mr. Wonderful Shark Tank with a red band, which they've never done before. That thing looks spectacular on camera. And every collector from around the world knows I own it. And I've had countless offers for it. I can't sell it. I mean, why would I sell it? You, you can't know, let go. Just, you can't let I can't, go. I can't let go. It's going to come in the in the, you know, in the coffin with me. I'll need it on the afterlife. So. <laughs> okay. I always wondered about that. Like, no, don't let the Chanel suit get buried with the person. Okay. No. <laughs> As we finish up, I just, I just have loved this conversation so much. Um, the one thing that really strikes me about you is there's no complaining. You know, it's not your dad died when you were young. You are the son of immigrants. There are, I'm sure, many stumbling blocks. What what is the message you want to give people who say, well, I've, I've had it rough. Uh, you know, I, uh, the world owes me. Yeah, everybody has it rough. There's if you ask anybody, um, even extraordinarily successful people. They've had some bad stuff happen to them. Mm -hmm. And it, it just that is the nature of life. It giveth and it taketh. And it, there's nothing you can do about that. But you have to understand that you're never at the destination till you're dead. You're always on the journey. And so I treat every day that way. And I really focus on discerning the signal from the noise because I, I don't have to do anything anymore. I'm very fortunate that way, but I work harder than I ever have. So I, I chop the day into 30 day, uh, 30 minute blocks. And, and I say, do I, and you know, I, I look at it with my team at the beginning of each week. Is there anything in the, in, in this week that I don't want to do? Cause I don't have to do it. Okay. And if I don't like it, I don't do it because time is my most valuable asset. But I really enjoy working with entrepreneurs. I really enjoy the travel I do, the watch collecting I do, the, you know, extraordinary people I meet, the doors that I, are open to me. I'm just so fortunate. Why wouldn't I want to go through them? And and just, you know, but it's really focusing on the things that matter that are going to, you know, you you want to leave a legacy. I'm at that point in my life. I want to do things that people remember me for. You just get to that point. So that Harvard thing for me is a big deal. That's going to be published in 90 countries. I'm very proud of it. I'm working on it. I, I am an, a, a vehement supporter of capitalism, and I fight that fight every day, everywhere. Yes. And, I, and, and those that do not understand why it makes America great need me in their ear. It's important that I get at them and, and debate them or point out to people why they are lost. You know, I've, I've had some real interesting times with AOC. I mean, I respect her as a politician, but... She's a, she, anyways, I'll, don't get me going. Well, that no, I like, be... I like that you speak to them instead of just eviscerating them. And I, I always say to people, okay, so you think it's better elsewhere? Buffett always says, you want to go to Indonesia? You want to go to Kenya and see if it's better over there? Okay, go ahead. No, he makes a very good point. But, you know, I always say to them, what do you know I don't know? What, why do you pursue these policies? In the case of AOC, I got a huge debate around the Amazon jobs. Tell me why you think it's good that you chase 10,000 jobs. Good paying jobs. Good paying jobs. Oh, really good paying jobs. Like, why would that be a good thing? Now, she's wildly successful selling merch that says tax the rich. I owe lots of it. I give them away as gifts. <laughs> I think it's, it's hilarious. I love to wear them. 
but she's a capitalist. She's making over 70% margin on those shirts. So she should be on Shark Tank pitching. Kevin, you're a delight and, and you're an inspiration. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on Everyone Talks to Liz. All right. Take care. Thank you very much for your time. And there you go, you guys. So if this doesn't show you that somebody who has a burning flame within him to keep going, even as he's finally reached success where other people would say, I'm done, I'm retiring. He is an inspiration and he should be a driver for you. Thank you so much for tuning in as always. And I'll see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Claimant Countdown. And I'm going to get him to come on to show that Rolex with the emoji face, okay? Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.